Welcome, everyone, to It Simply Isn't Done, the Sermon Recap Podcast. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport. And I am Reverend Barry Petrucci. We are the pastors at Chapel Hill Church. And together we are the, the Irreverent Reverends. And uh, like the name would suggest, this podcast is the message from Sunday, where we share the scripture and then the sermon, and uh, we meet you back for some reflection on that message. There will be an opportunity to, if you look down in the notes, you will see a place where you can go directly to the reflection. If you already listened to the scripture uh, on the sermon, or if you just want to skip them all together and uh, just hear what we have to think about it, um, you can go there. We're happy you're here. We are indeed. Well, welcome to this edition of It Simply Isn't Done, the podcast sermon recap. And this week, week four. Four of our epic series, PCH Playlist. This week, Jess preached on uh, on making music together. <laughs> yeah. Making beautiful music together. Making music together as we wrap up the series. Um, and I feel like I, I co-preached, really, with Chad and Taylor. So we had some... Videos like we have each week before that have a little bit of a, a story. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the scripture from Ephesians or hear the message, you can do that now in the podcast. If you already have, go ahead and look in the show notes to see where you can skip to to catch us for some reflection. Let us hear these words from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. He himself granted that some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are in the fourth and the final week of our Portage Chapel Hill playlist series. We've covered the difference, or really lack thereof, with sacred and secular music. We have talked about dynamics in music. We even learned what fermatas were. Today, we're going to look at making music together. Something I've loved about this series is that you all have been willing to share a bit of your stories so that you don't have to just hear my voice as the preacher. We get two other snippets of sermons during the series, and I'm grateful for everyone that shared. 
We're going to start by hearing from our own Chad Schumacher this morning, I'm the leader of New Life. That's the band that leads us here in our 11 a.m. service. Um, just a, a word to embarrass Chad. <laughs> Chad is singular. So incredibly talented, really wonderful to work with, thoughtful, and a great leader. He leads that group like a small group. We're so grateful for him. And I think we have a lot to learn about his relationship uh, with faith through music. So let's hear that now. Music's always been a part of my faith journey, um, and it's always been part and parcel to my involvement with the church. I grew up in a small town, and I didn't have a lot of opportunities to perform, right? And that's what young musicians need, is opportunities to perform in front of people. Um, in the churches where I had that opportunity. Um, when I was in high school, I had an opportunity to do the weekly accompaniment of, of the church choir. Um, but that was a great opportunity to learn how to accompany, right? There's a difference between soloing and there's a difference in the, between soloing and accompanying, two different skill sets. Like most people, I've had ups and downs in my faith journey. Um, believe it or not, there's, there's times when I'm tired of church and tired of the tired of the journey, but it's, it's the music that always brings me back, right? It's the music and the people that always brings me back. The first is a classic. It's a Miles Davis tune and it's entitled Blue and Green. It's the one from the Kind of Blue album. It is a simple, haunting, beautiful melody. Um, it's got a gorgeous chordal structure that underlines, underscores the whole piece. Um, the performance features uh, a pianist named Bill Evans on the piano. Um, it is not a complex, what he's doing on the piano is not complex, but I have never been able to emulate or capture the, the type of melancholic feeling that that Bill does in, in my own plan. I've always tried to replicate that. I've never been able to do it, um, despite my best efforts. Um, I personally think that the, the outro on that song is just perfect. The, the piano outro that, that closes the whole song is, is just perfect. Um, and despite the piece's simplicity, I always find something new when I listen to that. Um, and that to me is what great music and what great art is supposed to do, right? It persists over time. It continues to speak to us in new ways. That is a great example of a song of a piece that does that exactly for me. The second one that I would mention is it's, a, it, it, it's an album, right? It is a Herbie Hancock album and it is entitled River, the Joni Letters. And most of this album is a reimagining of Joni Mitchell songs, which uh, that's not really the point. But Herbie takes a bold approach to how the instruments and the vocals interact with each other. And the album came out in 2007. That was about the time where I started to get really involved with the, with the New Life group. I didn't have much experience playing with a band at that point in my life, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to you know, be part of this group as new people at this point that I'm, that I'm meeting for the first time, playing with for the first time, and I'm trying to look for that source of inspiration, how I can be part of this group. When I heard that album, I thought that's how I eventually would like to play as part of a group. Um, it is a very unique vocal accompanying style. There's lots of movements and lots of very pointed choices of when to move given a sung vocal melody. 
I cannot put into words um, how proud I am of the New Life team and what we do each and every Sunday. Um, I am immensely grateful for each person's consistent dedication um, over the years. Um, we are a group that thrives on collaboration. Um, we listen to each other, we share ideas, we are not afraid to express opinions even when they might be a little bit different from everybody else's. Um, this is a group that takes a lot of risks. Um, we laugh a lot, we enjoy each other's company. Um, a lot of us have been together now for a long time playing music, doing this, um, and we still like each other most of the time, uh, all the time, which is just awesome, right? It's, it's awesome to be you know, in this spot, in this church, and and doing this role is is it's just a it's it's just an awesome mission. We believe that music is the foundation for great worship experience, right? Music opens people up to letting them truly experience the Holy Spirit. I think in this way we are just like any small group in a church setting. Uh, different backgrounds, vocations, interests, families, but it's that common goal of putting our best foot forward every Sunday, prepare the table for worship, to be part of an active, inspiring worship service that keeps us going uh, week in, week out, all the time. Very, very proud of what this team does every single week. New life fun fact, right? Not everybody knows this, but this is a new life fun fact, a little insight into my world. Every Sunday after the service is concluded and I've gotten back home and I'm, and I'm doing my Sunday afternoon stuff, every time I get a text from my friend and drummer, Brent, who grades our new life performance. And it's usually a C plus. <laughs> Occasionally we'll get a B minus, but it's usually a C plus. And there's a second part to this. I can set my clock to this. 30 seconds after the first text, I will get a second text, which says something to the effect of, but the drummer gets an A. <laughs> That's new life. <laughs> well, I can speak for many of us. I, they get more than a C plus, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> we are sometimes our own harshest critics. Pray with me. Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as Emily read for us this morning, our text is from the letter to the Ephesians. This was traditionally attributed to Paul, but we've known for about 300 years. This was written by a Paul devotee about 15 or 20 years after Paul died. The author is writing to a church believed to be in Ephesus. The central point of this chapter and much of the book is unity. I've preached to you all about unity before. Whenever someone calls for unity, we must be discerning and ask around what? Calls for unity in and of themselves are not a value, I think, that is inherently Christian. And in this case, um, this is a call for unity around our faith in Christ and naming the diversity of gifts in our community. I can get behind that. I think a lot of us can. And I think it's really poignant for us to be thinking about this now 
As Barry mentioned, we're going through a pastoral leadership transition. And in the midst of that, being reminded what the church is, what we are called to be and do, is essential. It's helpful for me, for our leaders, for our staff, to know that we are called to equip the saints for ministry. We're not called to do all of the ministry, and sometimes we need to pull the reins back (laughs) and realize there are many of you who are gifted and called, much more so than we are. Our job is to figure out how to resource us as a church, collectively to live in our call to be the hands and feet of Christ. So now is when I'm going to speak it plain for a little bit. Chad talked about making music together and preached part of the message on what it looks like when we get to do that and do that well. And much like many of the Pauline epistles, I'm going to weave in some things I think that distract us from doing that. There are two things I'm going to lift up that I think can distract us from this work of ministry. The first is the phrase, many church leaders here, hear otherwise. I've talked to my colleagues. The phrase is, I think the church should. I think the church should X, Y, and Z. Who is the church? Friends, who is the church? Do you mean me? Do you mean Barry? Do you mean the staff? Who, who are you talking about, right? Who is the church in this situation? And when that question is followed up with, I'll often ask, oh, what do you think is preventing you from leading this ministry you feel really passionate about? There's, oh, no, I couldn't. But I think it should be happening. Oh, no, I could never. But I think it should. We hear this kind of consistently. And friends, this morning, I want to free us from the notions of what we think should be happening in order to liberate us into what God and the Spirit might actually be calling us to do. That doesn't always line up with our own expectations. And I'm going to tell you that because, friends, you are the church. You are the church whether you are a charter member, whether this is your first time and you're figuring this all out. If you are here, welcome. Welcome to the party. Because we together are the church. And I'm not saying this to add any more pressure because Christ's yoke is easy and the burden is light. I'm simply saying that if we take an opportunity to lay down our shoulds, we can better construct what our call actually is. And that ties into the next thing that distracts us from doing ministry together. And that is wishing for the church that was while neglecting the church that is. If we are so focused on figuring out how to repeat what was magical about the past, we neglect and miss our future. This is a hard one. The church will never be what it once was. It cannot. It is an impossibility. I cannot be who I was 20 years ago. You cannot be who you were 20 years ago. We are different even on a cellular level. It is not achievable. And friends, if I might be frank, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go to a church that did not allow women in the pulpit. I, did not, I don't want to go back to a church where we can't have queer leadership. I don't want to go back to a church that existed sometime in the past that we cannot achieve now. 
trying to replicate what was. And I don't want to move on from that quickly. Because for many of us, I know there is grief. There is grief and there is loss about a church that was. And that is real. And I want to name that. I want to name that. I want to help you process it. I want to talk through that with you. But we must grieve and process so that we can live into our mission together. Our mission is not to be the church when you liked everyone coming. Our mission is not to be the church from the pre-pandemic five years ago. Our mission is not to be the church from 10 or 40 years ago. That is not our mission. Our mission is for people to know the liberating, moving, transformative love of Christ here and now. Here and now. Do we believe that's possible? Yes. Amen. We have a group of Portage clergy. We meet once a month, and we're starting to build some relationships and do some pretty cool stuff. We've got some of that coming to you later this spring. And at our lunch this last week, our dear colleague, Reverend Rachel, over at Prince of Peace, the Lutheran Church, pretty close, shared a beautiful but very Lutheran phrase, adiaphora. Adiaphora. Any Lutherans hear that before? No, no. <laughs> All right, so this phrase means that which does not affect salvation. That which does not affect salvation. It struck me as very Pauline, but also very Wesleyan. She was using it in the sense that they had a, they had a big congregational to-do about chairs. We can laugh, but y'all. <laughs> right? And eventually she had to say, dear ones, I love you. This is adiaphora. This does not affect salvation, right? This is not part of who we need to be. And let's just make a decision about our chairs and then keep moving forward in mission together. I say that not to scold us because sometimes um, we get caught. We get caught in that which does not affect salvation because we love this place so much. It's hard get down in the weeds. And as we move forward, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is that we love and worship this God, and we are so compelled by God's love that we discover the gifts that he, she, they gave us, and we help love ourselves and our neighbors into being. Right? That is making music together. And I can do that on a number of chairs. <laughs> There's a number of chairs I think could make that happen. Are y'all with me? Are we there? What does it mean to make music together? And um, you know, as I've said before, I can sing. I'm not a singer. So I thought it might be helpful to hear from someone who has a lot of experience in uh, making music together and conducting and singing. Um, have any of you been here on a Tuesday night? Some of you have been here and been like, what is going on? <laughs> what is happening? There are children strewn about. There's a lot going on. We have Girl Scouts, and we have the Kalamazoo Children's Chorus here. We also have Bible study and a few other things going on. Um, we get the chance to hear from Taylor, the artistic director of KCC this morning. And I want to let you all know, um, part of what has been important to this community is when there is a nonprofit where we feel like our general vision and goals align, we offer them space in this church for free. 
right? They pay for custodial, they'll sometimes give us an offering, um, but we want them to be here because we are blessed with this building. We want to be good stewards. We want it to be filled with people doing things. This is not the only time we want people to be in the church. And we are blessed to have KCC here. And I want to thank you all for keeping the lights on so that we can do that. And I want you to hear a little bit more about where the spirit is moving in KCC and making music together from Taylor. My name is Taylor Goodbranson, and I am the artistic director of the Kalamazoo Children's Chorus, which is housed right here at Portage Chapel Hill Church. I was in fifth grade, and we were allowed to choose which instrument we wanted to start to learn in band, and I chose the flute which led to then also joining choir, which led to me being completely absorbed in music. I had found something that I really loved to do. And at first I wasn't so good at it probably, <laughs> you know, I'm sure my parents did not enjoy listening to me playing flute at every waking moment. And at one point my my dad told me that my voice pierced the very soul and could you please stop singing? Um, <laughs> but I persevered and I just kept doing it because it was something that I loved. Um, and I've never been someone who can easily express what I'm feeling well to others. Um, even maybe sometimes to myself, I don't really know how to navigate that through words. Um, but what I found was that when I was playing flute or singing, the music was the only thing that mattered. So eventually I joined the Kalamazoo Children's Chorus. And what I found at KCC was a community of all of these other kids that felt the same way that I did. And so suddenly we were in a place where we could sing this beautiful piece of music and afterwards we could sit down and discuss together like what that meant. And after I joined Children's Chorus, that's kind of when I had decided that my path was going to be to share this feeling of music with everyone else around me. And I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to, um, you know, be in the children's chorus world um, and continue what KCC had brought to me. It's a way that I can express myself. It's also a way that I feel like I can express what I need to to God um, in a way that I can feel connected like in prayer, but it's song. Um, and in order for me to kind of fulfill what God wants me to do, perhaps it's just to, to you know, be who I am for my students and to expose them to music and show them that there's this way that they can find peace. We started some new music with Children's Chorus and whenever we're learning something new, we listen to a performance if there's one available and we read through the lyrics. And after that's all done, um, I ask them, 
okay, did you like it? What's something that you found that you really loved? And this gives an opportunity for everyone to kind of share what they see in the music. And one of our pieces is called Flight. And it talks about wanting to succeed and to soar, um, but feeling like the situations that you are in are holding you back. Um, and a lot of kids really opened up and shared, you know, things that were going on in their life and how they felt it related to this song. Um, and oftentimes it taps into something so emotional and then we end up, um, you know, experiencing crying, um, but in a good way. The answer is all around. From the moment the kids walk in the door, there's joy. <laughs> to see them come in and greet each other, who, you know, friends that they've made, they don't go to the same school, but once a week they see each other here and they run in and hug each other and are just so happy to be together and to sing together and just have fun. Um, that's goodness. And I see goodness by the kids being vulnerable to, you know, to share their life stories with the people around them, to share how they're relating to music. And, you know, sometimes that, those stories are tough. And the way that the rest of the choir, you know, huddles around them and lifts them up, um, I really feel like rehearsals at Children's Chorus are really therapeutic for everybody. Something that I just want all of Chapel Hill to know is that we are so eternally grateful for the generosity that you have shown to us here. Um, the Children's Chorus went through a really hard time when COVID happened. Um, and we're still rebuilding from that. And without your generosity to have us welcomed so graciously into this space, um, I'm not really sure where KCC would be. And this is an organization that it matters to so many kids and we are a home to so many kids. And I want Chapel Hill, I want you all to know that you know, our choir doors are always open. We have kids that sing with us third grade through 12th grade. For each concert cycle, um, we welcome new, new singers into our midst. And we have never, in the history of Children's Chorus, ever turned down any child that wants to sing because of their inability to pay our tuition. That's just, it's not what we're about. And if you know someone who wants to sing with us, um, send them our way because I can, I can say that the Kalamazoo Children's Chorus, it changed the trajectory of my life. And I know so many other former choristers that could say the same thing. Um, it's really a remarkable place to be and it's worth supporting. So thank you so much for being one of those supporters. Um, 
there's lots of music to share and the young people in our community are worth it. I am immensely grateful to Taylor for sharing that video with us. And um, friends, you can't tell me that what Taylor described isn't the spirit moving. KCC's not explicitly religious, they're not explicitly Christian, but for some kids, KCC is church, right? And the fact that we get to house that in our space because you all are generous is incredible, and I'm grateful, and I get to brag about you all all the time for that. And I think it's also a helpful reminder that we need to tell these stories, but that a lot of things happen here, and we get to make music together even when we're not a part of it, right? It's happening. These might be some of the only times kids come into a church building and think about that positive experience they get to have, and we get to be just a small part of that. There's also a point, you might remember where uh, Taylor said, there came a point where the only thing that mattered was the music. The only thing that mattered was the music. Meaning we're able to drop the things that distract us, our shoulds, our adi ofra, and figure out how to make music together. I don't know if you're called to play the timpani, or sing, or direct, Maybe you are in a season of vocal rest as you regain strength. That is okay. But what I am 100% certain of is God is writing music for us here and now. Here and now. And we get to be a part of it together. This week we start Lent with Ash Wednesday. And during the season, what I'd really love for us to do is to adopt practices that help us fine-tune our listening skills so that we might be able to hear that music God is playing for us, build spiritual practices so that we can sustain our listening, right, to hear that music and join the band together. Amen. Well, welcome back. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Yes, welcome. we welcome you back. <laughs> it's been so long. So, Jess, uh, wrapping, up, wrapping up the series um, and doing that with a couple of, of awesome but, but lengthy um, videos from Chad Schumacher, the leader of our New Life team, and... Taylor Goodbranson, our uh, director, uh, not ours, but the director of Kalamazoo Children's Choir that meets here at Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. um, you, uh, you weren't left an awful lot of space. What was the point that you wanted people to pull out of, of the time? Yeah, well, I think um, starting it with Chad, centering it in kind of ways that folks might be familiar with seeing how we make music in Chapel Hill and drawing some connections to that um, and then I moved into a thing I think Paul pretty classically does which is um, <laughs> talks a little bit about what it looks like uh, to be in unity and then um, what perhaps it doesn't look like or I should say at least the Pauline letters often communicate that so I wanted to lift up um, some things that I think distract us from being able to do that which are particularly pertinent as people have big feelings about pastoral transition and want to know 
what's coming. And sometimes folks channel that anxiety into spaces that are less than helpful or productive. So I thought it might be helpful to talk about that as um, I know I can do that as well. Um, and consider what we are being unified around. And then let Taylor kind of wrap it up with, hey, here's, here is good news. Um, there are people doing church, really, like making music in this space together um, that we might never see. It's important that we know what's happening, right? And um, we get to be a part of that, even without kind of having our finger on the exact pulse. Yeah, let's let's back it up to um, some of the things that that Paul kind of warns against when it comes to the unity of the church and remembering that Ephesians was probably not written by Paul but yeah almost certainly yeah by one of his uh, followers Um, even so the the sense that there are things that are going to that are going to build the church and things that are going to break the church or or at least weaken the church Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it it didn't feel to me like um like what you had to say was was all that pointed at least for for chapel hill um Mm -hmm. and when it comes right down to it i mean just between us you know what is what are things that you feel are particularly damaging you you mentioned uh at a point of transition um i'm interested in that because i some of the things that we wrestle with uh, I'm not sure are different during transition than they have been at other other times in the life of the church. So interested in, in talking about that a little bit, if you're willing. Yeah. Um, could you make your question one sentence? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what you're asking about. So you, you said that Paul talks about the things that, that help to build a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the converse... Mm-hmm. Is the things that 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 break it down or threaten it in some way? Yep. What are those things that um, I, for here? I mean, I'm both both. What's what's building the church, and also what's um, what are what are people anxious about, such that um, such that the attitudes aren't helpful in building the church? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the two things I named. Uh, yesterday are generally not helpful. Like, I think the church should be doing X, Y, or Z. Um, I have no investment or, or willingness to be a part of that, but I think it should be happening. Um, and that comes down to kind of brass tacks when I'm like, hey, I need folks who care about our youth, who want to participate, because we actually, we have youth that come here. You might not see them on Sunday mornings, but that does not mean they're not present or here other times. Um, and sometimes I feel like I really have to cajole people because people are scared of teenagers. <laughs> So that's an interesting, you know, one small example. Um, I also think it's, we have an interesting dynamic in kind of mid-sized churches, and Chapel Hill's a mid-sized church, where there are some folks who really prefer a small church feel, and will do a lot to keep keep the church, quote-unquote, small, um, like needing to know everyone personally. Um, yeah, being unwilling to kind of consider a bigger missional understanding right so we've had we've had a hard we're getting these strategic planning surveys and people are asking for small groups 
um, my understanding is we've had a pretty hard time here with small groups because people don't ever want their small groups to split up and start over again. <laughs> um, and sometimes when a small group gets too big, like the thought is you split and you maintain those relationships, but just in a smaller group. From what I understand, we don't really have a good culture or DNA of that here. So we might have to build some of that in. Um, I think also this is not just related to Chapel Hill, but talking to colleagues, it does happen here. People that think church is a service they consume, as if this is some sort of retail space, um, not not an identity that we express mutually and together. Um, so there's kind of this, like, I'm paying for this, so this is what my expectations are that I should be getting. Um, and, and no one ever says it that directly, but there's some of that. I mean, I think just generally not having buy-in to the mission and um, sometimes p- folks don't, you know, the way that they express that they care about something is um, not by doing the building up, but by the finding, you know, finding anything that they could perceive as wrong and communicating that. Yeah, I think that Paul um, was pretty clear about, for, for the young church, um, who the customer was. The customer was not the the, the church, the customer were the people who were not there yet. And I think we tend to miss that in contemporary American church. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a sense that the, the customer or the client or the people that pay good money, uh, you know, to, to, be, to be here as though, as though we charge an admission fee or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets confusing because we talk about Contemporary oh, Paul. Christian culture and Paul, yeah, talking about who the customer is. Yeah, who the customer is. Um, I, every church, you know, when we do, and, and it's it's one of the the anxieties that um, leadership tend to have around doing surveys or questionnaires because they tend to be things that people consider to be something that they're voting for. <laughs> um, and, and when churches are asked what they need, they'll talk about more youth, more stuff for youth and young people, uh, small groups, and particularly Bible study. Um, and what are the things that folks are least likely to be involved in? Leadership for youth, youth uh, ministry, um, not notoriously don't want to go to Bible study, and small groups unless uh, they meet their, their immediate needs and they can stay with it forever. Um, and those are problematic because we tend to, uh, they tend to end up going undone for those reasons. Yeah, and it's it's interesting um, to figure out how to reflect some of that back and to see kind of where that takes us because we're in the process of doing that now. Um, and and here at Chapel Hill, we're we're also um, along with moving with our strategic planning, kind of changing our leadership and our governance structure. And, you know, Barry, you were talking a little bit about this. I don't know if it'll get edited out or not about how we have um, staff driven, right? A, a staff driven church. Um, we, we don't. Our, our deep hope is to have staff really c- connecting a lot of the dots with administrative things <laughs> um, to keep, you know, the, to keep the really like at the pit crew, right? That The staff is really like the pit crew for ministry if you want to take it um, and think about it uh, in, a, in a racing sort of way. But it's the congregants, right? And, and so we're hopeful to have a lot more lay-led programmatic ministry with the help of 
staff and pastoral leadership. But sometimes when people hear staff driven, they think that means the staff is going to do all the He's things. Doing it, right. And uh, that's not, you know, that's, that is not, that does not make a healthy church. It is helpful to have a building that's open so packages can be delivered and <laughs> someone to sign bills and to have some lay folks plugged into that so they know what's going on and we have accountability within that structure. And, um, you know, we, we want the congregation to feel like they're, you know, meeting, um, meeting the place where God is calling their giftedness in our community. Yeah, and I think that's the big, the big thing is that we're calling people to be involved in ministry wherever they are in the larger community and to a lesser extent within the building called Chapel Hill. So if lay leadership and professional leadership can do some of the structural work that, allow, that allows people more freedom to do ministries uh, that, around which they're passionate, then that's what the, that's what the staff and the, the core leadership of the church are here to help do. Yeah, I also, um, you mentioned before that you didn't think it was particularly pointed, my message. And I don't know that I meant it to be pointed. Um. <laughs> yeah, that that was my language from what I heard before worship on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I, I, was, I was anxious um, because sometimes folks can be defensive and there are people... Not not just one or two, several folks in this congregation that have come up and been like, hey, the church should be. But that's also a pretty common pattern in other spaces. Um, so sometimes I can get nervous about that sort of thing, and I worry um, that someone might think I'm preaching directly to them when that's never that's never the particular case. Right, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it... it, it uh not being particularly pointed was not an insult. <laughs> it, it did feel a little bit like it, so <laughs> it wasn't very pointed. No, it so was it was, it was a ref, it was a reflection on what I was hearing it, it, as anxiety. Yeah, and I felt like it might be a little punchy. Um, punchy, pointy. Yeah, and I think you know at the eleven o'clock something I said that I didn't say at the nine. Sometimes folks, uh, you feel so nostalgic and they romanticize the church when when they felt like their needs were being met the most. Um, and just, you know, by and large, that's just not, I don't want to go back there. I don't know what it was like, but I know I don't want to be there. It was before a time women could even open up check checking accounts. Like, I don't want to be a part of that, you know? So sometimes I hear that, like, oh, this place was so incredible. When? And I wish we could do that again. And, um, you know, I have a heart for that nostalgia, and I think we can hold on to that. Uh, and I'm not really going to put energy or effort into recreating something that can no longer exist. And minimally, I wanted folks to hear that. That's just not, that's not a thing. Because um, there's, there's been one or two folks that have been like, well, Barry's leaving, so now we can do. <laughs> like, n- no, I don't know that that's necessarily... You know, I don't know that we're going to be able to recapture whatever you I love you that felt. people tell you this stuff because I don't hear any of that. It's great. I'm so glad you can you can hear that for me. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, you know, that's church, right? So um, some of it is this interesting space of figuring out, yeah, let's, let's form an identity um, and start this new chapter together, thinking about, hey, what's God doing here in this space now? Because I particularly hear this from some of our elders who are – um, who don't see their friends anymore and the pandemic has changed a lot and, and folks that are aging and can't be here or moved 
Um, and that's hard. There is a lot of grief around that. And I think as a whole society, we have not adequately processed or tended to our grief around that. We've just had to keep moving. And so I want to start naming those sorts of things. So when they come up, we're, we're ready to have those conversations and not um, ignore the grief. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think the grief is huge at a lot of fronts. Um, you know, we've got the first generation of Chapel Hill folks uh, are passing. Mm-hmm. We have and, very few, yeah. Yeah. and um, Left in person. And mm-hmm. folks were very young, like when the building was built, those kinds of things. And remember... Before this was even a United Methodist Church, right? <laughs> it, when the building was built was in the, you know... 64. Right. It was Methodist, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot has That's happened. That's a whole other conversation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the United Methodist denomination didn't even exist yeah. when this building that, was that built. Pe- that people are, you know, we, we have still have people that are so confused by our not using United Methodist. And it wasn't the moniker when, when the church was born. So it's just, it's just kind of funny. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we do, we do get ourselves in a place where um, we romanticize the years of our development you know when mm. we were when we were making friends when we were mm-hmm. uh, when there was a sense that we were all working together for common purpose well what we've been trying to do and what what you and April will continue to do pastorally is is encourage people to do exactly that is to build a new thing and have common vision mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's probably not going to be around uh, the the kind of the kind of work that was done in the '60s and '70s around building physical plants. Mm-hmm. We now have more physical plants yeah. in the United Methodist tradition than we know what to do with. Yeah, to the so point where they're liabilities. Yeah, yeah, to the point where the liabilities. So how do we how do we understand our ministry beyond the building? So it was great to have Taylor, for instance, yesterday talk about. This is one way in which we make the the building available, and, and you were able to underscore other places, and and people need to really feel feel great about that happening. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more space where where we can make ministry happen. Yeah, and I th- and I think we will. I mean, as long as we can, if we have this big, you know, huge, gorgeous building, yeah. I get the sense people here are pretty comfortable with us figuring out how to use it and especially with groups um, where we're kind of aligned, where we have a sense of understanding of what we're trying to accomplish mutually. Agreed. Um, Some rabbit holes I didn't go down. Um, Paul really, uh, Paul, I'm saying Paul in air quotes in my head because this isn't Paul. We just attribute it to Paul, right? Pauline tradition. Pauline. But generally, um, an actual Paul or Deutero Paul, they kind of knock children a lot. Like children are kind of like, oh God, ugh, kids Pro- are the worst. Property. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting, and I think that could have thrown some folks off. Um, you know, Paul didn't. Paul didn't have much capacity for dealing with kids, clearly. <laughs> and I think that was also a cultural norm. So in case you were bothered by that, I I really don't think children were often viewed or or treasured in the way they might be. Nor did childhood exist. Um, in the same way we conceive of it today. There wasn't really a child, like, you know, you were four or five and you kind of started helping out um, to the extent that you could. So I don't know if that's an interesting sociocultural conversation around that, but Paul does kind of 
go hard for the kids and talks about how they're just kind of <laughs> never getting it right in a distraction frequently. We do not affirm that part. We're more right. on the on the Jesus said, let the little children come to me side of things. Yeah, and he was really, I think, making more of the point that that as adults, mm-hmm. we don't want to be knocked to and fro the way kids are. Um, you know, that, that kids are, kids are for Paul's, from Paul's vantage point, uh, kind of scattered. And Paul wanted uh, adults to be more single-minded than kids, which I yeah. think is kind of weird. Well, I... Um, I like to think of when when Paul kind of talks about kids more just like just immaturity generally as opposed to actual children um, but kind of those spaces wherein we're uh, willfully naive and let other people make a lot of decisions and take our agency from us um, but that could just be wishful thinking on my part to interpret Paul you know you got to get through it however you can <laughs> That, that minimally resonates with me more. I think particularly working um, with young adults for a while who are, who are legally adults, but in terms of their prefrontal cortex, absolutely not. <laughs> so I think about more like that kind of young adulthood, still wanting to be a kid and not having any meaningful responsibility yet. It's there on them. So that was a rabbit hole I chose not to go down. I think after expounding on it for obvious reasons relating to yesterday in Unity... <laughs> But an interesting conversation, nonetheless. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't have had any time to <laughs> to really explore it in yesterday's Yeah, sermon. no. Uh, Chad and Taylor were about 13 minutes together. Yeah. And so I tried I tried to get to about six and a half, and I think I was a, a little longer. Yeah. I sometimes uh, go off script. So. Yeah, didn't feel that way. It's good. It was a good message. And I think, as in most, I mean... The, the thing about messages of any kind is that um, you know, we prayerfully hope that that wherever you are, you're hearing what you need to hear and that the Holy Spirit's working with you with our words to, to kind of embrace the things that are most relevant to you. Um, but the point of your sermon that I took is that really there's not one of us that that don't, don't go to protecting the things that are particularly important of each each of us mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. to the to the occasional detriment of the whole oh yeah yeah well and um i'm i'm really grateful that we had lunch with our clergy colleagues and i learned the phrase or the word adiaphora if you want to look that up because some of you have asked that actually <laughs> folks have more people have talked to me about that word after the message or via email than i thought but it's a d i a P-H-E-R-A. It's, it's Greek, not Latin. But folks uh, had come up and that, that resonated with them. And I'm glad. I'm glad because it's, it's helpful. Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes we make our thing the whole thing. And we have to, you know, what, what? <laughs> that which does not affect salvation. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, and it's interesting because, you know, my hunch is that the Lutheran tradition, even the ELCA, uh, talks more about salvation in those terms than we do in the, in the progressive oh, sure. United Methodist progressive, uh, mm-hmm. tradition. So, um, you know, I take it to mean, uh, you know, w- when we end up spending time on things that have nothing to do with the mission. 
Yeah, me too. And and the word, interestingly, if you if you you know do a little research, there's its religious context, but it is used in many other contexts relating to kind of mission or the point, or like when you when you're paying attention to things that willfully miss the point. Um, so I we can use that word in all sorts of ways, and you'll probably hear it again, dear listener. <laughs> there's thing. actually there's actually a book from a few years ago. Um, uh, yeah, Tony Campolo and what's the name, McLaren? Um, Brian. Brian McLaren. They did a book called uh, Exercises in Missing the Point. Yeah. And very much about all the things that we do to spend time talking through things. That uh, Certainly the things that United Methodism has done over the last 25 years, we've, we've wasted a lot of time on things that had nothing to do with our core mission. Yeah. Yep. And... Uh you know, minimally, it was nice to have a pretty, a pretty full house, uh, because that phrase was introduced and now we can use it just collectively. It's going to become part of our vocabulary. We're going to do shirts. (laughs) Sure. Sure. We can, we can do shirts. Sure shirts. Sure shirts. All right, y'all. Well, this week starts Lent. Um, so you'll be hearing this on Tuesday, maybe the first day you could hear this. Fat Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. Mardi Gras, as it were, um, there'll be drive through ashes at Chapel Hill under the portico from noon to one, and then we're having an Ash Wednesday service at seven, so you can bring your Valentine <laughs> and come get ashes together. And there might even be heart-shaped candies. You, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. You like conversation hearts, right? I guess I'm going right? to yeah. have to get those. You like them, so you can get them. They're not my fave. I'm going to see if it's too late to get get some made up that I'll say adiaphora. <laughs> I, I think it might be too late. That would be ironic because I feel like the conversation hearts would be adiaphora. <laughs> but, you know, hey. I like, I like ironic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, either way, we will see you after Lent begins. And when I say see you, I might mean you might hear us. <laughs> and, and there will be a whole new series coming. A whole new series called Unhurried. As we journey through Lent together. So we'll catch you for that.